This episode has been sponsored by Connor Insurance, an auto owner's insurance company. Hi, this is Abby at Connor Insurance. There have been record amounts of rain all across the country this year. Most damage occurs when water backs up in your drains and basement fixtures. If you have a basement, you need to check the limit your policy provides for water backup. If you aren't sure how to check, just give me a call or visit us at connorins.com. Shepherd has been serving the children of Indianapolis and helping families for 34 years. We work to break the cycle of poverty on the near east side of Indianapolis because we love the children in our neighborhood. We are privileged to watch our neighbors grow physically, emotionally, spiritually, and academically through the relationships we build every day. Partnered with Shepherd by donating $34 to celebrate 34 years. Visit shepherdcommunity.org slash BLF to join us. And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Well, folks, hello. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. And I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the program Oh my gosh, I feel like I've got the best opportunity on the planet. I get to interview the most amazing Christ followers. North to south, east to west, we travel, sometimes through technology, sometimes on the airplane, where we get to interview some of the most amazing Christ followers in a wide variety of fields and disciplines and area of subject matter expertise. But what all of these leaders have in these conversations is a commonality of two things a love of Jesus Christ, and secondly, their desire to help um, others live out their faith in the marketplace. Our tagline here at Bottom Line Faith, we're all about eternal business in real life. And we know that as a follower of Christ in the marketplace, you want to glorify Jesus. And at the same time, you have real responsibilities, you have real deadlines and real things that you're accountable for in the marketplace. So that's what we're trying to do is help you to do both of those things better. I am really, really excited. Coming to us today via telephone from Columbus, Ohio is Tim Kite. And let me just read a couple of thoughts or a couple of things about Tim's background. We're going to learn more about his story, but he is founder and CEO of Focus 3, his company that he founded. Their mission, they really work with leaders and companies around the world to help align uh, leaders to culture, positions of influence and behavior to help those organizations achieve exceptional results. And I think you're going to find and discover very quickly in this conversation that Tim is a very gifted and dynamic, uh, dynamic communicator. His work with Ohio State University, the Ohio State University, I must add, football program in particular, has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, and in the New York Times bestselling book, Above the Line. Tim, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Thanks, Ray. It's really great being with you. Thanks. Well, we're going to have some fun. And one of the things, as I said in the opening comments there, is we get to talk with some of the best subject matter experts in the country on this whole concept of living out faith in business and in the marketplace. So as a, as a starting point, tell us a little bit about how you came to Christ and uh, specifically your background in athletics, because I think that was all formational, and then kind of what led you to starting your, your firm, Focus 3. Yeah, I, I, uh, as I shared with you earlier before we, we began the recording, I was a student athlete at Ohio State a long time ago, and uh, just one year at Ohio State, then transferred to UCLA. 
And it was while on campus at UCLA that I got connected to Campus Crusade, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, some of the on-campus ministries. And it was through that interaction, other athletes and some of the staff people going to events that I was um, presented with the gospel and would go to Bible studies. And through a series of um, interactions and a lot of a lot of doubt on my part and then trying to push back against the teachings of the Bible and then doing my own study into it, discovering the Bible did in fact speak truth. I came to this realization that what 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 the gospel said was true and that what what the Bible says about who Jesus is and why he came to this earth and his claim in our life it was true. And I had to make a decision. It was a Josh McDowell uh, event where I had to make a decision I know it's true, now what I'm going to do about it? And I remember distinctly, by way back in 1972 in UCLA, where I, I uh, accepted Jesus into my life and dedicated my life to Christ. And that was obviously a huge event for me, and I uh, have never looked back. So it's been, it's been many, many years, and it's been an awesome journey. Uh, very, very exciting, very fascinating. And so one of the things that I think our audience would find kind of cool, kind of fascinating is, when you went to UCLA and Poly Pavilion, there were two sports that really <laughs> lived out their, their, their training and so forth inside of Poly Pavilion. You want to talk about that a little bit? Cause, and, and I'm from Indiana, so we're huge basketball fans sure. and I'll let you connect the dots on that one. Yeah. So I, I, I go to UCLA and um, um, I had, I'd been fortunate enough in high school to be national champion in my track event. So I had lots of opportunities both out of high school then transferring uh, from Ohio state and, but, you know, chose UCLA. And so I go there and I discover that the, the two sports that are housed in Poly Pavilion are basketball and track. And we're the only two in that building, other sports, other places. And of course, the coach at the time was John Wooden and uh, his final three years. And, and while I was there, he won his ninth and 10th national championships. And it was that unique interaction with Coach Wooden during those three years, which was very, uh, that, that interaction was so unique for me and inspired and triggered in me this passion for what is leadership? What is culture? How do you put a team of people together to achieve uh, incredible things? And I, I just learned, a, I learned so much from Coach Wooden while I was there and it, things that to this day, I mean, I draw upon a lot of his insights um, uh, every day. One of the things, by the way, Coach Wooden had me do was read the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I don't know if you are, or have you read that book by chance, Ray? Years ago. Yeah, so I, I read that and, and was really struck by the incredible courage and resilience that Dr. Frankel uh, exhibited. And he was, uh, he was, a, he was in the, the concentration camps of Nazi Germany, and he observed himself and the other prisoners and the guards, and he wrote about it. And that's where this notion of, to me anyway, where this notion of how do I respond to life situations and that courage um, and, and resilience and vision were a critical part of living an effective life. And, and Coach Wooden was instrumental in pushing me to read and understand and absorb the timeless truth in that book. Well, that, 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 uh, that's where you came to Christ and you had your formation spiritually and leadership formation and so forth really took place in those years. And so at some point I would suspect that all of that helped to lay the foundation for your company Focus three, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what led to you starting your firm and what you all do and what does focus three mean? Yeah, I mean, we, the, the, the journey from, from then to now was one of, you know, studying and, and trying to understand leadership at whatever level you do when you're a, a collegian. And then I coached high school 
football and track for a year following UCLA in Los Angeles. And now I'm thrust from being an athlete now to being a coach and had to be on a staff and I'm an assistant coach. And then I, I finished up there and went to grad school at Princeton Seminary where I was also a coach. And so every place I would go, I recognized the need for leadership. Uh, I got involved in a church. I actually became um, uh, licensed in a church and served as a youth pastor. Again, more need for leadership. So it, it became quite evident to me that I was living in an organizational world where leadership, culture, teaming, behavior, discipline mattered a great deal. Not just in athletics, not just in college, but at all things. So I began a systematic development of tools to really focus on three things, which is what my company is today, leadership, culture, and behavior. And when I finished up uh, did two, two years at, at, at Princeton and then off to Europe uh, with Dr. Francis Schaefer at Labrie, same thing, recognizing that God was and is very much wants us to understand the organizational world, that we're, we're not out there just guessing that he wants us disciplined and effective as we interact with that world. So long story short, I put together a toolbox. I put together a systematic approach to building leaders, building culture, and building disciplined behavior, and went back to Southern California and uh, started the company. And Focus 3 stands for those three things, leadership, culture, behavior. And I've been doing it for 35 years uh, all around the world, and it's been an amazing journey. Well, I love how God just crafts those elements in our backgrounds and our stories and puts them all together to make a, a, a great story. So over the last 35 years in your firm of um, Focus 3, maybe share with us, not necessarily names or, or organizational names, but give, me, give us an example of a, a culture or a company that taking this model, and we're going to break down the model and, and spend some time on it in a moment, but give us a success story. What from beginning to end, what that looked like? Yeah, I mean, we, we work with an incredibly wide variety of organizations. I mean, one of the things about our tools is they're timeless. And, for example, our behavior model, our behavior system is called the R factor. It's based on an equation, E plus R equals O, which stands for event plus response equals outcome. And what we help organizations do is equip every employee in the organization to manage their R factor literally to respond to the events they get every day at work to produce the best possible outcomes. And what E plus R equals O teaches is that you don't control the events of life and work. You do control how you choose to respond and how you respond produces an outcome. And if you want a better O, choose a better R. That the outcomes that you get are determined by the responses that you choose. And part of what I've done in my journey, I identified six competencies or six disciplines that consistently successful people do differently in managing the R than average people. So we teach that. So for example, we do a lot of work in utilities and there are large utility companies are very concerned about safety. When you handle energized power lines for a living, you had better respond well <laughs> to the challenges of, of uh, a job where you're, you're you know, repairing a down power line or building a new one. So we teach or we equip our clients to teach E plus R equals O in the utility environment. And we have seen safety records um, significantly transformed. We've seen performance improve dramatically in the utility companies where we operate. Same thing in hospitals, the same thing in banks. We have a large retailer we work with as 25 retail stores around the United States. They implemented our factor and every year of implementation, they've improved performance 
every year because everybody's managing their R a little bit better, a little bit better every day. We've got a car dealership in the PAC Northwest that's used us for four years. So it's our fourth year now. He makes more money every year using this tool. But here's the cool thing, Ray. Whenever we teach E plus R equals O in a business setting, people go home and share it with their families. And they come back to us and say, it's the only corporate training I've ever received that improved my marriage. It's the only corporate training I've ever received that, that, that transformed the way I interact with my teenager. Because event plus response equals outcome doesn't, it's not just a job skill, it's a life skill. And, and marriages and families are full of events that you don't control, but you have to choose your response. So that's just a quick little thumbnail, if you would, but uh, again, without naming specific organizations, but that's really, when you equip people with a tool like that and they improve the way they respond, the outcomes produced by the company are going to get better. So, uh, okay, so we're going to dive into that because I love this and I think I'm, uh, I'm taking notes. And if, uh, if you're listening to the program, if you're driving, don't take notes while you drive, but pull over, grab your notepad, grab your phone and follow along because you're going to get some great nuggets here. So events happen, right? Mm-hmm. Events happen. So give me an example of, because uh, I want to break this down piece by piece. Give me an example of an event that would happen to a leader. Well, let, let me go. Let me go something even simpler, if I might. Okay. So yeah, sure. And I'll give you the here are the six disciplines, the six competencies that we see and we've observed and we teach in the workshop. Press pause, get your mind right, step up, adjust and adapt, make a difference, build skill. Those are the six R factor disciplines, and that's how you manage the R, irrespective of the event, to get the best possible outcome. The purpose of pause is clarity, which we all need more of. The purpose of get your mind right is productive energy. Purpose of step up is discipline action. Purpose of adjust and adapt is flexibility. Purpose of make a difference is to have a positive impact on the people around you. And purpose of build skill is to continuously and constantly grow. So inside a business, there's a need for people, leaders in particular, but but every employee, to number one, be clear about what they're doing, what outcome they want. So here's an example, um, and I'm going to go away from business for a second. What do most people do when they're tailgated on the highway? And I ask that question, and you want to you want to answer for me, Ray? What most? Of course, not you, Ray. But what do other people do when they're tailgated? Well, on the I've heard I've heard that in that situation, they probably utter some phrase or some words out loud, and they probably tap their brakes or do something to elicit a response. There you go. So some either gently or, se- or severely, they're going to tap their brakes in order to send a message to the person behind them. And that's become a national art form, right? That's become a habit. And that's what we would call a default response. Not a discipline response, but a default response. So one of the very first things we have people do when they go through R factor training is we say, when you drive home today, practice E plus R equals O when you drive. Because what? Events are going to happen. You're going to get people cutting you off. You're going to get people tailgating you. There's going to be, and and you're you're going to have an opportunity to react or respond. And so press pause and gain clarity. Now again, no, they've gone through the training and which I'm not going to share all the mechanics now, but they, 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 they recognize that, gosh, you know what? I do that. And you, I I do, I do tap my brakes and I do gesticulate wildly. I do express the surprise. I do get stressed out and, and I don't have to, I have a choice. And so we have them work on immediate things in their life where they can practice E plus R equals O in this six-discipline toolbox 
to change the way they respond to produce a better outcome. Then we also do something uh, in business called we map predictable events. We have our clients map the events they get on the job. We'll start with the top five events that you get where you know you need to respond better. And we let them map them for us. And they, they and we have work, worksheets and things that we use, but they will literally write down, okay, this event happens with some degree of a regular basis on the job. Whether I'm a CEO or a manager or a supervisor or I'm a foreman or I'm an hourly employee, yeah, here's four or five events that I get on the job. And then we have them map out what's the default response you engage in, which is does not produce a great result. And what's a discipline response that you engage in that does produce a result that you want? And they'll look at it, and they'll begin to, to evaluate themselves situationally, behaviorally, and recognize I have choices. And I don't have to react on default. I can respond with discipline. Uh, pretty common thing. People who uh, are chronic complainers, <laughs> and you know you need to have a, converse, a difficult conversation with them, what do you do? That's an E that you get. That's an E that leaders get. Right. Message comes to a leader. You got somebody on your team that's underperforming. You got somebody on your team that is a chronic complainer. That's an E. What do you do? Well, you can identify a default response or you can identify a discipline response. That's one very early exercise we have leaders or frankly any employee go through. And we do our best to help people discover what they need to do. Because deep inside, most people know, not always, but most of the time, you know what the right thing to do is. And this system equips and empowers you to do it. Okay, so uh, I know we're going to dive a little deeper. That's fantastic. But I want to talk just, and, and we didn't rehearse these questions. We kind of just having a conversation here. What is the role of worldview around how someone responds in a given situation? What is a, the role of how they see people? What is the role of faith in all of this? Because um, I know that's central and core to who you are. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so one of the principles we teach in Press Pause is clarity of vision drives quality of response. There's a cause and effect relationship between how you see and what you do. That's the way God's designed us. I'll say it again. There's a cause and effect relationship between what you see and what you do, between perception and action. That's simply the way the human mind and heart operate. And we, we and just go back to as mentioned a moment ago, there's discipline response and default response. Yeah. Discipline, and there's discipline perception, and there's default perception. And one of the reasons we don't see as clearly as we need to, and there's a lot of them, but there's, there's three thinking traps, three perception traps that get in our way of seeing clearly. One is called the spotlight effect, one is called negativity bias, and one is called confirmation bias. Now, these aren't large worldviews, but these are like situational views, right? And I'll come back to worldview in a minute, but, but the... Um, Spotlight effect is when I only see a part of the situation, but I treat it as if it's the whole. It's reductionism. It's, it's, it's limiting my perception, but acting like I see everything. Daniel Kahneman called it the what I see is all there is syndrome, and it's, and it's debilitating. The second one's negativity bias, and that is the tendency of human beings to find focus and fix it on the negative and to mm. not see and understand the positive. And the third uh, thinking trap there is confirmation bias, which is looking for confirming evidence and ignoring disconfirming evidence. Well, if those three traps are shaping how I see an event, I'm not gonna respond well. I'm not gonna respond well. So when I teach the mechanics around that, it's interesting to watch an audience because everybody shakes their head like you are right now. That's very intuitive. 
And they understand mm-hmm. that, you know what, there's, there, there's, there's truth to be found in there. There's a better way to be seeing this, which, which is interesting because I'm a huge believer in the correspondence view of reality, that God has created a world where reality is seeable. It exists. I, I, don't, I don't embrace postmodernism. <laughs> I don't embrace radical relativism. I believe truth is there to be found. And when I was, you know, one of, one of my great, great, in addition to Coach Wooden, Francis Schaefer had a massive impact on my life. And when I studied with him in, in Labrie, uh, one of the things he kept, are you fair, Francis Schaefer? I mean, that's the name I, I threw that A out. little, yeah, a little. Yeah. But, but Dr. Schaefer kept talking about the importance of seeing reality with clarity and courage. And I believe that reality is not so much difficult to see, I think it's difficult to accept. Hmm. <laughs> and does that make sense? Oh, yes, it does. And I want to go back to the story of the person bumper and uh, telling your bumper in a moment, but continue your thought. Yeah, so, so what, what we do is we help people strip away, we call it remove the filters that screen out realities you don't want to see. And we help them strip away their filters to see more of the situation, to not get pulled into negativity, to understand that there are there is evidence out there that that they know they need to take into consideration that they're rejecting because it doesn't align with who they are. And from a worldview perspective, I know that all people have a tendency to see the world in a way that protects their image of themselves. That's how, and that's the, in our, and the language of the faith, that's, that's the, the fallen nature of man. Yeah. So one of the things that we strive to do is to get people to step back and see themselves and their situations with clarity and courage. It's the clarity part that's first and the courage part that comes second. And I'm telling you, Ray, it is so incredible for 35 years what I've seen happen in every conceivable type of organization around the world when people implement this tool. And for whatever reason, maybe it's because it aligns with God's architecture, people relax a little bit and they go, you know what? I've known that that goes on in my life and I need to see it differently and Thank you for giving me a mechanism and a framework to help me do that. And it's just, it's, we've seen people have epiphanies and it's, it's awesome. That's very powerful. So now I'd like to go back driving down the road and that same uh, person comes up on my bumper. And uh, now I've been through your training. I've been through your coaching. What's going to be different. What's going to be fundamentally different in how I handle that situation. The, the, the process and the act of seeing differently is called reframing. Yep. And if my frame is, I own that space of the highway, and that person behind me is competing with me, and I'm going to compete back with that person, and I'm not going to let him have my space, and I'm going to teach him a lesson, I'm going to hold him back. If that's my frame, that's my perception, I will get angry, I'll get competitive, I'll get combative, and the least, the least dangerous thing I'll do is tap my brakes. That's the least dangerous thing that I do. Stress goes up, risk goes up. So what we teach people is how to reframe. See it differently. And here's a key thing. Say it differently. A frame has a see and a say piece to it, a visual and a verbal. We call it focus and self-talk. So we teach people, prepare your self-talk before you put the car in drive. Yeah. Be prepared. Anticipate predictable events. Write a script. Paul said, take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's what this is. So, for example, I've got a script that I use because I left to myself, 
I'll I'll compete. I'll compete. Sure. Yes. Plus, I'm a fisherman. I've got a I've got a truck. I, I big four door Toyota Tundra. I in the old days, I want you to tailgate me. Bring it on, man. Let's play. You want to dance? Let's go. <laughs> so here's my script: Be safe. Move over. Let them go. That's my reframe. Be safe. Move over. Let them go. Now, there's another voice inside of me. My default voice is screaming, don't let them go. Don't let them have that space. And you got a battle now, right? Yeah. Battle between, between what I would call a disciplined voice and default voice. An above-the-line voice and a below-the-line voice. A voice that helps you and is safe and a voice that hurts you and is combative and hurts other people. And you make the decision what voice you listen to. And you are the author of both of those voices. Mm-hmm. Here's, a, here's a core message from scripture and just from the world of cognitive science. The emotions you feed will grow. Yeah. And if you feed that below-the-line default emotion, it will You feed anger, it will grow. You feel fear, it will grow. You, you feel jealousy, resentment, it will grow. But if you feed courage, if you feed optimism, if you feed productivity, if you feed resilience, it will grow. And yeah. every day, every person makes a decision about what voice they use and what emotions they choose to feed. It's just, it's just the way God built his universe. And yeah. if we're going to get better in life, we've got to feed the right emotions. Okay, so I'm going to speculate here that if, if, um, if a company or an organization can have a group of leaders who are mastering this approach, mastering this uh, process, that's going to have a, a radical impact on the culture of that organization. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And so would you talk a little bit about that? Would you talk about the impact of culture and leadership? Does, does culture, is that defined by leadership or do leaders, you know, how does that all work together? It's chicken egg, which comes first, the leaders with this kind of mindset defining the culture or saying that's going to be the culture and how do we build the leaders? Can you speak oh, yeah, to that a little are, bit? Yeah, those are two sides of the same coin. So we yeah. always begin every engagement with something we call the performance pathway. And picture in your mind, moving left to right, leaders, culture, behavior, results. That leaders create culture, culture drives behavior, and behavior produces results. That's, that's the physics of every organization on the planet. And that's God's design. So leaders, through their activities, their words, their behavior, their, their, the things that they do every day, what they focus on, what they don't focus on, what they talk about, what they don't talk about, what they encourage, what they allow, they build a culture. And then that culture shapes the behavior of people, and the behavior of people drives the performance of the business, produces results. And the elite organizations around the world today have leaders who understand this. Culture is not built by what you proclaim. It's built by what you practice, promote, and permit. Mm-hmm. Say that again. Culture is not built by what you proclaim. It's built by what you practice, what you promote, and what you permit. And, and every organization today has some form of core value statement. And you, and you should. I understand that. We help organizations do that. We call that a culture playbook. We've got a defined specific methodology for doing it. But a, a culture playbook or a core value statement doesn't build a culture. Leaders do. A, core, a, a statement, it, it's the, the quality of the leader is more important than the clarity of the statement. And yes, you've got to have a great statement, but the leader must 
behave. The leader must set the example. The Marine Corps, ductus exemplo, lead by example. And employees are tuned in to when leaders say one thing and do something different. Yeah. And nothing will kill culture faster when there's inconsistency between what a leader says and what a leader does. And one last thought on that, Ray, just deeply, when it comes to leadership, if the culture's not happening in you, it won't happen through you. It's not a shallow thing. It's a deep commitment the leader makes from the heart. And, and that's, that's where culture begins, is in the attitude and behavior of leaders. That is so powerful, Tim. And before we go on, um, I just want to pause for just a second. Uh, if, if, if our audience is like me right now, they're taking notes, they're learning like crazy. This is amazing stuff. What is the best way, Tim, for our audience to you know, find out about you, connect with you, learn more? What would you say there? A couple things, several ways. One, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn every day. I communicate this content constantly on social media. And my Twitter is at Timothy Kite. That's K-I-G-H-T, at Timothy Kite. And same thing on LinkedIn. You can find me there. I, it's either Timothy Kite or Tim Kite. I forget which uh, of those on, Twi- on uh, LinkedIn. But uh, we do videos. We do lots of free stuff. And we use social media as a is a platform to communicate these kinds of principles and truths. Our website is focus3.com. That is the number three, focus3.com. If people want to email me directly, I'm tim at focus3.com. But there's a lot of cool stuff that um, you can get via all that social media platform. It's a lot of fun, actually. Great. That's great. Thank you. So um, not really a shift, but a little bit maybe of a transition um, these things that we're talking about are, are, are really critical and about culture and behavior and results. This hasn't always transitioned over into the church world, right? In this whole, this, we're talking about a theology of work in, in many ways, right? So I'd like to just talk a little bit about what would be your thoughts or comment? Um, why has the church neglected to focus systematically on these things? And I, I would just be real curious on your thoughts there. Oh, that's, that's been a, um, well, that's been a constant, uh, mission. Dilemma? Dilemma? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, it is, but it's, it's also a, um, it's, it's heavy on my heart. I, I think about it and pray about it every single day. I, one other mm-hmm. thought, um, if I write a daily devotional, it's called, and you can follow it on acalltoexcellence.com, acalltoexcellence.com. It's a website. I go verse by verse through the Bible. Uh, we're going through the book of Proverbs right now. And uh, it actually started, it, it's a, it was an email exchange between me and Urban Meyer years ago when, because Coach Meyer and I talk Bible all the time. And on a regular basis in my devotional, I talk about the relationship between work and the Christian faith. And it's interesting, uh, there's been a, a, a huge increase in activity around ministries that address books, articles, blogs, talking about faith at work, which I'm very grateful for. And, and, and I hope it, it proliferates and continues. But you've said an interesting thing. There isn't, though, a systematic approach by the church for the theology of work. And when I talk to pastors, I say, please look out over your congregation and on Sunday mornings understand something. Those people spend the vast majority of their life at work, waking hours. And the Bible, our Bible, the Word of God, God's design, works six days, rest in the seventh. That wasn't an accident. Harvard Business School didn't invent that. 
-hmm. our creator did. And I believe the most important worship hymn you sing every day is the work that you do. Work is not an afterthought. God designed work as a primary reason for why he created us and by which we function according to his kingdom. And he, he, he created us to be workers on this planet. Now, the fall broke us, but the fall didn't break work. The, 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 the work is hard because the world is broken and fallen. Work is hard because we're broken and fallen. But the commandment to have dominion continues to exist. Right. So the Lord's call to us is to be workers. And, and for whatever reason, the church has slid into like a, a, a dualism where the spiritual stuff is more important, the physical stuff not so much. And I could give you the theology behind it, the history of dualism and Platonism and, and how you know Plato bifurcated the world into the noumenal, the phenomenal. And well, the church has picked up on that, unfortunately. And the, the, the worldview of the church tends to be more platonic than it does tend to be biblical. But the biblical worldview is every day matters. And work is an act of worship in response to the God who saved us. I believe this, Ray. I believe that salvation is not the beginning, is not the purpose of the Christian life, it's the beginning of it. Salvation isn't the purpose, it's the beginning. Once I say yes to Jesus, the journey has begun. It's not the end of my journey, it's the start of it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the church really emphasizes being saved, but it doesn't emphasize being effective in the marketplace. Yeah. which I just think is a, is a fumble. I think it's a mistake. I think it's a gap. Well, what's the, and that, and, and thank you. In fact, it's like you've fallen into my web, into my trap. You know, that's really what we're about here at Bottom Line Faith is helping followers of Christ live out, find, discover, and live out their calling in business in the marketplace. As I said in the opening comments, eternal business, real life, because it's not one or the other, it's a both and. And so uh, where does the role of like tangible skills and these results, the things that you've been talking about, having system and a process, how important is that to living out our faith and modeling Christ? Not only knowing these things, but living them out and having the skill sets and behaviors to model them out. I don't, I don't want to get super theological, but I do want to draw anyone who's listening to this that wants to answer that question, please go to a call to excellence.com and go back to the opening verses of Proverbs that where I teach in the opening verses. The Hebrew Old Testament answers that question. So there's a word for, for wisdom in the Hebrew language, hokmah, roughly in the English, H-O-K-M-A, hokmah. And that word in Hebrew means wisdom, skillful wisdom. It means skillful and wise in the way you go about the things of life. And it's used to describe craftsmen. It's used to describe uh, just a wise sage philosophically. It's used to describe... Uh, someone who's uh, um, effect, uh, a, a, a sailor on a boat who knows what he's doing on a boat. It's know what and know how. Not just know what, but know how. And it, it, it means skillful living. And it's a very, it's a very comprehensive word. Hokma. And the book of Proverbs says that, you know, Solomon's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling us, learn this wisdom. Go out and build this skill. Build your knowledge and build your know-how. That's word number one. Word number two is the word musar, M-U-S-A-R. That's the other word that you'll see repeatedly in the book of Proverbs. And that word, that word musar, means discipline training. Discipline training. And the, the, the book of Proverbs, and, and there are lots of verses in the New Testament that, that would back this up with New Testament verses, 
is you engage in Musar in order to build Hokma. You do discipline training in order to build skill. That's God's plan. If you don't do the Musar, you don't get the Hokma. If you don't do the discipline training, you don't build the skill. Here's the mistake I think some Christians make. They believe that being saved automatically makes you skillful. It doesn't. You can be saved and not very skillful. I call it being stuck on salvation. <laughs> and I, I just, it, it, and maybe you can feel the passion in my voice for this, but I, 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 I deeply desire for believers to get on this path of, of daily skill building, of daily development of the wonderful gifts that God's given to us. And, you know, Paul says, Paul says that in, in the New Testament, he goes, I pommel my body lest after preaching to others, I disqualify myself. Yeah. He talks about discipline training. Same thing that you see in, in the book of Proverbs. And the New Testament says, train yourself in godliness. We're, we're, we're trained by grace, Titus says. So there are verses in the New Testament that mimic, that shadow, that echo that very principle of Musar training to get hokma, knowledgeable, skillful wisdom. I think the church has woefully neglected this process. And today, if you're in business, where do you go to get skill building to be effective on the job? Not to the church. The church doesn't offer skill building for a, supervi a young supervisor who just got his first promotion. The church doesn't offer training for some young woman that now is a, a new sales VP someplace and a marketing company. Somewhere. You, you don't get that training at church. Where would you go? The church is forcing its members to go elsewhere for the skill building for what they do most of the week. That's a mistake. That is a mistake. And it's a tragedy, right? Yes. Yeah, it is a tragedy, unfortunately. Because then we have followers or believers who are not able to properly communicate and root the foundation of what they do and why, where it comes from. And so they're going to the world for the, those skills and they're going to the world for those insights. And I, I, well, I tell you why. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. I've said for years, I says, why is the church going to all these leadership conferences? Why is the church going to all of these training seminars to learn how to be effective? It should be the other way around. The world should come to the church, right? And I, I boy, we could probably take an offering and close shop right now. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's really interesting. If you read through the book of Proverbs, and one of the things that the, I've been doing it now for, for the devotional because we go very, it's classic exposition, right? We go very slowly. And I read in Hebrew, and then I write about it. And it has been deeply, profoundly transformational for me, Ray, over the last two years, studying the book of Proverbs, because it is so rich with practical advice for how to navigate the stuff of the world. And obviously, you know, Solomon and others who contributed to this, to this wonderful words of wisdom, this, this literature on wisdom, they were dealing with the real world and they would put these proverbial statements out there about, about, Hey, when this happens, do this and don't do that. And wisdom is this and foolishness is that. And, and you better be Hokma. You'd better be wise and you better do the work with Musar. And if you don't, you get yourself in serious trouble. And so it, it's, it's, um, it's a wonderful book of the Bible for a Christian leader. A wonderful book. Incredible. Incredible. 
uh, gosh, I wish we had like another two days to continue this conversation, but this is such a fast time here at Bottom Line Faith. So Tim, what I'd like to do just for the, the, the next few moments and the remaining few moments that we have, I, actually it was a great transition there. I wanna talk a little bit about insights, a little bit about advice, right? So what I'd like you to do is just give a word of encouragement perhaps or advice to someone who's listening to this program right now they are uh, challenged by this. They are like, gosh, I got this in my heart. I want to live this out. Give me just a couple of practical steps that will help me move closer to who and what God's calling me to be and living out the Musar, living out the, the hope that what you've been talking about. Just give us a couple of nuggets that are real and practical that I can take from this conversation. Yep, a couple things. Um, I would say this. Number one is elevate your love without lowering your standards. If you're, a, if you're a, a believer in the marketplace and you're a leader of any kind, elevate your love without lowering your standards. And what I know about leadership is that you can only push people as far as the level of trust that you built with them. And I think it's our job as leaders to push people really, really hard and to push them into doing things they simply wouldn't do on their own. But they won't let us do that if we haven't earned the right to do that by earning trust with them. And it's my job to love people. And I, I, want my, I want my love to be empowered by God's spirit, that agape love. Did you see that commercial that New York Life put out during the Super Bowl? We're talking about the four, kind, four kinds of love, and they talked. Did you see that commercial? By I Jay? actually did not, no. Yeah, I, I should send it to you, but look it up. It's this New York Life agape. Just Google it. It'll come right up. And they give the four words of philia, eros, storge, and agape. And they do a fabulous job of uh, explaining agape is the sacrificial, selfless uh, love, irrespective of circumstance or feeling. And that's what we as leaders need to do. So that's number one, elevate your love without lowering your standards. And then the other thing is um, go to Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 27, write it down, Proverbs 4, 20 through 27, and read it. And it's a great paragraph that describes the theme of the book of Proverbs. And it contains that very famous verse, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. But that's one of the verses in there. And basically what that passage is about is this, manage your attention. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Not everything that gets your attention deserves your attention. And so if you look carefully at that passage, there's four things it tells us to do. One is listen carefully to the word of God. Number two, guard your heart. Number three, stay away from corrupt speech. And four, look, look straight ahead. Pay attention to what you're doing and where you're going. And it's a wonderful passage. And uh, you know, it starts off, my son, be attentive to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all your flesh. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes Look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. And do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Pay attention to what you listen to. Pay attention to what you allow into your heart. Pay attention to what you say. And pay attention to what you're doing and where you're going. That's pretty good stuff. Did you read that in the Bible? Did you say yeah, it's in there. <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> I love it. Well, folks, oh my gosh, what an amazing conversation. We have been speaking with Tim Kite, the founder and CEO of Focus 3 out of Columbus, Ohio. One more time, Tim, before I have one more question for you, and it's actually just, boy, you just covered it, but I got to just come back to it. 
if our listeners want to connect with you, want to learn more, best way to do so? Yeah, our website, focus3.com. That's the number three. Twitter is at Timothy Kite. And then I'm on uh, LinkedIn as well. Tim Kite or Timothy Kite, you'll find me either way. Yeah, fantastic. So I feel a little bit like you stole my thunder, so I'm going to forgive you in advance. But, you know, we've done 150, 160 of these interviews here at Bottom Line Faith to this point. And Tim, I end every interview with the same question. And it's, it is the one I'm going to ask, but you kind of touched on it. Well, you did more than kind of touched on it. You actually nailed it. But in Proverbs 4, I call this my 423 question. As you said, where Solomon writes, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows all of life. Yeah. So end our conversation today with the above all else. Fill in the blank. What is that one piece of advice, that one thing that you believe is most important for our audience to take from this conversation? Fill in the blank for them. Above all else. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God's kingdom. If, how about this, Ray? If Christ doesn't rule in your heart, you can't lead in the world. That's, that's what I would share. I love it. And I'm, and I'm writing that down. Above all else, seek God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Tim Kite, wow. Would you possibly consider coming back at some point? I feel like there's part two, three, four, five, and six in our conversation. Sure. sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I got to tell you, just as we wind down here, I am so blessed. I am so encouraged that the Lord brought us together. I am quite convinced of this, that of the thousand, we have thousands of listeners here on every episode of Bottom Line Faith. And I believe, Tim, that there are going to be many, not one, but many who are going to be greatly encouraged, greatly inspired, and frankly, greatly challenged to grow in that next step of their leadership in the marketplace and to live out who and what God's called them to be. I can't thank you enough for being on our program today. I am so grateful. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. Well, there you have it, folks. Wow. What an amazing conversation with Tim Kite. One of the most powerful, powerful interactions I've had and that we've had here at Bottom Line Faith the last few moments with Tim. Uh, check out his site. Check out, check out his firm, Focus 3. Definitely a man that God has equipped and resourced and called to equip leaders in the marketplace. I hope you've been blessed. I hope you've been encouraged. And like me, you've probably got a couple of pages of solid notes. What great value. What a great conversation. That's what we're about here. Bottom line faith, as we say in our opening uh, tagline, eternal business, real life. We're here to bring you the biblical principles and help you to apply them in the real life of leadership in the marketplace. We hope that you've enjoyed the program. We hope that you will pass this along and encourage others to sign up to become a subscriber here at Bottom Line Faith. I am your host. Until next time, Ray Hilbert here, encouraging you to live out your faith every day at work. God bless. We'll see you soon. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.